dry. But this morning, I've got something that I want to share with you, and I think it's an important message for this time. The title of this morning's message is, Is It God? Is It God? The ability to discern between what is God and what is not God is no small thing. There's a great deal of confusion in, in the church today as to what is God. And it, there, we ought not to be confused because the, the scripture really does reveal clearly who God is. And I've told you this before. If we know the character of God, we never need to be confused about the actions of God. The only time we're confused about the actions of God is if we don't understand the character of God. Because God is a perfect personality. He never acts outside of his character. You and I sometimes will do things and people will say, well, you know, that's not like pastor doesn't normally do that. that. That's out of character for him because you and I are just human beings. But God is not a man. God never acts outside of character. So if we know his character, it's always able we're able to understand the actions, even if the actions are something new. Are y'all listening to me? Because we know that's God. It's redemptive in its working. It's it's lovely. It's beautiful. It's wholesome. It's he, you know he it's not condemning. You know a lot of people think that the whole purpose of God is to condemn. Jesus said quite clearly he didn't come into the world to condemn the world. So he's redemptive in everything he does. So if we understand the character of God, we'll never be confused concerning the actions of God. And today, in every generation, it's important that the people of God have the ability to recognize God. Okay? Because I want to say, listen to this. To accept something as God that is not brings deception. I want to say that again. If we accept something as God that is not God, the result is deception. But if we reject something that is God, as if it were not God, that brings destruction. You following me? So our ability to be made whole, to fulfill what God has, the will of God for our lives, we've got to recognize his voice. We've got to know what it is he's doing in our generation. Luke chapter 19, I want to read really just the last part of the verse, but Luke chapter 19, verse 44. They will crush you to pieces. This was not his will. Everyone look at me. Many times the things that happen to us and through us is not by God's ordination. Do never mistake that everything that happens is the will of God. The Bible says it's the will of God that none should perish. But yet we know people perish without him. They, they dwell in a world without God and therefore without hope. That's not the will of God. So not everything is God's ordination. Jesus said of the people that he wanted to embrace them, to bring them close like, a, like a, a, a hen does its chicks and hold them under his wings and protect them, but they would not. He would, but they would not. So he says here, he says, they will crush you to pieces and your children too, and when they leave, your city will be totally destroyed since you would not recognize God's day of visitation. Your day of devastation is coming. If they had recognized, every, are y'all with me? This is not a downer message. This is a good message. But if they had recognized the visitation, they would not have endured the devastation. 
But they had to endure the devastation because they would not recognize the day of visitation. You and I need to know, is it God? Go with me to the book of Jude, chapter 1, verse 3. Jude, chapter 1, verse 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend. Everyone say contend. That you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. This word contend earnestly, it's one word in the Greek, and this is what it means. To struggle for a thing against a thing. To struggle for a thing against a thing. And Jude was saying, while I was writing to you about our common salvation, I felt a divine impulse that I had to write to you and appeal to you, beg you to struggle for a thing against a thing. Falls, let me borrow you for a moment because I want to show you what this means. And the thing that he was saying, I, I'm begging you to struggle to hold on to the thing that they're trying to take from you is the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Okay, so here's, here's I want to help you understand this. Put both hands on your Bible. Now, don't rip it out of my because I know you're a man, but so don't rip it out of my hand. But I want you to act like you're trying. Okay, but don't actually do it because I got an image to uphold. Okay, thank you. So here's the thing, right? I'm holding on this. Let go for a second. <laughs> this is the faith. You understand this, right? Not portions of this book, but the entirety of the book from Genesis to Revelation. This is what we're called to believe. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, this is a more sure word of prophecy. If someone stands up here so anointed, they glow in the dark and they have a halo. But they say to you that something that's not in this book, you're to mark them and know them. That is not a prophetic word because this is a more sure word of prophecy. This is what I'm called to believe. It doesn't matter how many PhDs they have. It doesn't matter how many, uh, how many, uh, whatever. It doesn't matter how they, well, you know, God doesn't do that anymore. If it's written, our uncertainty is unnecessary because this is what I'm called to believe in. This is what the battle's over. This is the thing that we're contending for. So there, there's something that's trying to take from me something. And what Jude is saying is, I'm begging you to struggle for against. Don't let that thing, be it a philosophy, be it a doctrine, be it a new cultural norm. Don't let it take from you the faith that was once handed down to the saints. So, so we're contending to hold on to this. And something is trying to take it from us. You following me? Thank you, sir. So, so what you and I got to see, we got to understand something. And I'm going to read you a, a word from Paul in just a second. If we let go of this, we're going to lose the fight. We're going to lose an entire generation to the philosophies and doctrines of men. Because we have been called to be believers in the book. And this is what we're contending for. Our old pastor used to tell us that we're con contending for revival. Because, see, it's easy to let this go and have a substitute in its place. One day I'm going to preach to you a, a sermon on counterfeits. Because we need to understand that the enemy will gladly give us a counterfeit in, the, in place of the real. 
and, you, and, and a lot of people will accept counterfeits because if you ex a counterfeit, you don't have to fight so much for it. It's easier to accept a counterfeit. Do you know that Jesus Christ came as the anointed to be the king of kings? And what is the thing that the devil offered him? The kingdoms of the world. He was called to be a king, but he wasn't called to be a king that way. And a lot of times people of God have great callings and destinies on their lives, but they get tired of the fight of contending for that thing. And so they let it go and they comfort themselves. Well, maybe it ain't quite, but it's almost. We need to understand, is it God? Is what you're offering me God? Is, if, it, if, it, if it ain't God, I don't want it because, see, if it's God, then it'll be good. You can have an Isaac or you can have an Ishmael. Is it God? We need to understand, is it God? Go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, and then we'll get started. That was just laying the foundation. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, now I want to read to you verses 4 and 5. Paul said this, listen to this. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive. Everyone say persuasive. Some translations say enticing, and it just literally means witty words, reasonable words. And that's what persuasive means. It means words of reason. They, they, they sound good. They're reasonable. Paul said, I didn't come to you with what's reasonable. I didn't come to you and try to win you over with persuasive words. Now, Paul could have done it. Y'all understand, Paul was a very intelligent man. He was an amazing religious philosopher, and he could have, he could have de de debated in the realm of philosophy, and he probably could have won a lot of the debates. But Paul understood that if I keep my fight in the arena of reasonable, I'm going to lose. And see, and that's, as a church, that's far too often that's where we are. Our gospel is reasonable. Our services are reasonable. Our approach is reasonable because we don't want to do anything the unbeliever might not understand. So we relegate the move of the Spirit because we don't want to confuse anyone. Can I say something to you? The, the people of God have always been a confusing people. The Bible calls them a peculiar people. Nothing about them ever made sense. Everyone else always misunderstood them. And so we surrender our identity of oddity so we can be reasonable. So we who are spiritual become reasonable to reach the natural. And when we do that, when we surrender the supernatural to reach the natural, then we surrender the move of God. Are y'all following me? So Paul said that I come to you, but I don't come to you with persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration. Everyone say demonstration. So Paul said it ain't about persuasion. It's about demonstration. Because the Holy Spirit, if we allow the spirit of God to move in our assemblies, he can do more in five minutes than we can do in 50 years. I mean, one, one move of the, the wind of God blowing through our congregations, he can, he can touch the lost, he can heal the hurting, he can do things that all of our words will never accomplish. We can stand up here and wax eloquent week after week after week and be academic and just everything be reasonable and somebody sit there and suffer in silence. Because we're not going to touch them mentally, we've got to touch them spiritually. 
But far too often in too many of our churches, even in Pentecostal churches, we don't want the move of the Spirit because the move of the Spirit can be unseemly and unreasonable. Why do you got to dance that way? You got to lift your hands? Do you got to shout like that? that? That's just unreasonable. See, we got to understand, is it God? I remember years ago when I first, how many of you remember the days when you knew it all? Well, maybe you weren't like me. When I first got saved, I was the master of all things doctrinal. And so because I was the master of all things doctrinal, I sat in judgment of everybody. And I remember this one, my wife will remember, Sister Percoler. Y'all will meet Sister Percoler one day in heaven. An old Cajun woman raised in the Methodist church who when she got filled with the Holy Ghost, they gave her the left foot of fellowship. She was the sweetest, most wonderful person, man, her hair. She probably stood about, what, 5'5"? Five, five? Well, how tall was she? But her hair added another two feet because she had that beehive hairdo, and she'd have pins in there. And, and when she, when, when, and as soon as the first song started, Sister Pecola would start. And I'd be sitting there judging her. You don't got to do that. Pretty soon, bobby pins would be flying out of her hair. <laughs> And I thought, that's unreasonable. That's unnecessary. That ain't God. And then one day she started shaking, and she was coming down the aisle toward me. And I'm sitting there judging her. And when she came by, she slapped me. She didn't mean to. She just, and she slapped me. I woke up underneath the seats. <laughs> and just like that, I realized the spirit that was upon her was greater than the doctrine that was in me. You follow? So what am I saying to you? Is it God? Just because you think that God doesn't behave that way. I'm going to show you some scriptures. The Holy Spirit always expresses himself in a way that the religious don't like. These men are not drunk as Eli one day was watching Hannah in the temple, the tabernacle, praying. She was calling out to God because she was childless. And he got angry because she thought he thought she was drunk in the tabernacle crying out to God. It was God, and he didn't recognize it, and he was the priest. So we got to be careful of saying that's not God, but we also need to be careful to say that is. Because Brother Hagin used to always, is this okay this morning? Brother Hagin used to tell us people like dwelling in ditches. People are by nature ditch dwellers. They'll go over to this ditch or they'll run over to that ditch. And the truth is always somewhere in the middle of the road. Meaning, you know, there, there's a whole group of people. They, they run over to this ditch and everything is spiritual. They, they throw out all doctrine and it doesn't. And well, you won't find that in the Bible. It's okay, baby, as long as you make me shout. And it's pure emotionalism, but they label it spirituality. And they're in one ditch. Everything is the spirit. Right? Then you can run over into the other ditch, and it's like, well, we don't want to be like them, so we have no move of the spirit whatsoever. The God of the Bible is not the God in our church because he does nothing for anybody ever. We stand like statues from beginning to end. We come untouched, and we leave unchanged. And the truth is somewhere in the middle of the road. God is a God of order, but it's not your order. It's not my order. It's his order. And he's going to come and he's going to express himself as he desires in something that we got to learn. And I'm jumping way ahead in my notes here, but I always do that anyhow. The God of the Bible, the Holy Spirit, will not be dictated to by his own creation. 
You and I have no right to tell the Holy Spirit you will not behave that way in here. Because something that we learn over history is any time a group of people seek to tell the Holy Spirit how he can express himself, they seek to limit the expression, they eventually lose the manifestation. Because no group of people anywhere in church history have ever set out to say, we don't want miracles anymore. But what they have set out to say is, well, we don't need to do that shaking, and we don't need to do that shouting, and we don't need a church full of sister percolers. We need to be orderly, and we need to be proper because we're trying to reach the untouched, and we're trying to reach the lost. You don't reach the lost by being natural. I mean, the Holy Spirit's pretty good at growing a church. In the Bible, he added 3,000 in one day. Y'all here this morning? We surrender too much of our uniqueness by trying to be relevant. So we need to know, is it God? So he says here, but in demonstration of what? The Spirit. What I want to show you here is the, 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 the conflict is always with the Spirit of God. Not the word of God, but the spirit of God. Paul said, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that, verse 5, boy, I got to hurry up. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Paul said, I didn't want to come with persuasive words because they reside in the arena of reason. And Paul didn't believe that we could win a generation by fighting in the arena of reason. And do you know that today we stand? I'm so glad I'm not growing up in today's culture. But we stand on the verge of losing an entire generation of young people. I ain't worried about you old folks. Because we already made up our mind. Those of us who are, we've already made up our mind. But we got an entire generation of young people that are getting philosophy and indoctrination crammed. It's disguised as education, and they're getting it crammed down their throats. And we think in an hour of witty words, we're going to out-philosophize what they're getting 24-7. We're going to lose an entire generation of young people if we don't get away from persuasive words and get into demonstration of the Holy Ghost. Because the only thing that's going to out-philosophize them is a move of God's Spirit in the congregation of the saints. We need to say, listen, we ain't going to do it with witty doctrines and, 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 and all the persuasive words and enticing words. We need a demonstration of God's Spirit so that people's faith is not resting on the intellect of men, but on the power of God. Because, see, if our faith rests on the, the intellect of men, then our faith will be as fickle as the man that we believe in. But if our faith will rest on the power of God, it will be eternal and unchanging. Everyone say, is it God? I don't know if I'll finish today's sermon, but I'll try. A demonstration means actionable proof. Actionable proof. Power is the word dunamis, and it literally means miraculous power, abundance, might, strength, mighty, violence. It means a, 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 
a, a demonstration of God's spirit that comes in and overwhelms your reluctance. Y'all listening to me? It overwhelms your history. It overwhelms your pain. It overwhelms your sorrow. It overwhelms your loss. The move of God's spirit comes in and in one moment of time, he can overwhelm all of the things that have kept you in bondage. Hmm. What that thing we are contending against is trying to do is to remove our demonstration and replace it with persuasion. And the result is a loss of power. When we first started Real Life Church and we could gain no traction whatsoever, I went to go see a very prominent pastor in another city who was running several thousand. And I couldn't figure out why we couldn't gain any traction. And believing that we need a move of God's spirit. I mean, I don't know about you, but I want to see the blind be able to see. I want to see the lame walk. You know, I, I don't believe that the God of the Bible has changed. I believe it's written that he changeth not, that the things that he did in yesteryear, he's still doing today. I want to see those things, and that's what I'm cont contending for, and that's what I'm holding on to. And, and so I'm setting, when we started RLC, we're like, we want to see the miracles. We want the wind of the Spirit to flow through our services, and, and, and we couldn't find any traction. So I went to go see this pastor, and he told me, he said, I'm going to tell you how to grow your church. And I got on the edge of my seat because I want to know how to grow my church. He said, you can't have all that stuff. He said, don't let people raise their hands. He said, don't let them shout. You've got to start your services, have worship over in 20 minutes, five minutes for announcements, 20-minute sermon, and five minutes for dismissal. Bring it down to 60 minutes. And I said, but what about the, the gift of the prophetic and God healing the sick and doing. He said, oh, we're for that, but we got a side room for that. You got to because if you do it in a general assembly, you're going to too many questions are going to arise. The, the if they come in lost and they see somebody shouting, they're not going to understand that they're going to think you're weird. That was before I discovered the word weird meant marked by the supernatural. Now I embrace my weirdness. It's not so eager to be normal. But at that time, it broke my heart and. That was when I was still riding Harley, so I jumped on my bike, and I was coming home, and I'm driving down Highway 11 and tears flowing down my face. And I was crying out to God, and I said, God, you're unjust, you're unfair. Because if you put in my heart a desire for the move of the Spirit, but you're no longer doing that, then it's unjust that you birthed me in a day when you stopped moving. You should have birthed me 200 years ago when you still cared. I don't know when you abandoned us, but if you abandoned us, you should have birthed me back when you still were there. And I cried all the way home because I want to see I don't want to see people hurting. It hurts me to see them hurting. And yet I don't know how to heal them. And neither do you. God's got to do that. But if God's no longer doing it, then what do we assemble for? So I came home and I told my and my wife was eager too. she's like, what did he say to do? I said, well. We got to do the impossible. I got to quit being so long winded. 20 minutes worship, 20 minutes sermon, five minutes for announcements, and five minutes for the offering. Any demonstration of God's spirit's got to be done in a closet. She said, well, then let's stop doing this. Let's shut down the church and do something else. 
Because, see, if God's no longer moving, then what is the, what is what's it all for? If, if, if we show up hurting and we leave hurting and there's no answer anywhere in sight, then. But I think for too many of us, we've stopped contending. And we let go of the gold and accepted the brass. So we had a decision to make, and I called my bishop, who's now in heaven, and I said, this is what the pastor told me. And he said, well, he said, I know that pastor, and that pastor's only interested in building an audience. He said, if you want to build an army, you've got to go through boot camp. <laughs> Hallelujah, Father. I, I, I know this isn't as shouting as some of ours, but it's important. So after I heard this thing from the pastor, I began to study church history more intensely than I had in the past. And one day I had an opportunity to sit down with a man who has, he was a master of biblical languages, two earned doctorates in church history, a president of multiple Bible schools. And I sat down with him and I said, it seems to me that every revival ends poorly and people that once birthed the move of God, they always lose the move of God and I don't understand why. And he told me this, and this is what he said that because eventually they get tired of being so odd. And when they're young and they're small in number and they're, they're willing to embrace their oddities. But he said as they grow in number and they want to be relevant to their culture, and that's just not in this generation. That's been in every generation. He said what they do is they, they, they seek to control the expression of the Holy Spirit. Every church every denomination if we go in history you go back to how the baptists started they were the pentecostals of their day the methodists were the pentecostals of their day every miracle every gift of the spirit operated through john wesley he had miracles but you wouldn't know it today you go back and every one of them had a move of the spirit when they first started that's what birthed their movement but then when the movement became more important than the mover they sought to control and limit the expression of the Holy Spirit. Y'all yeah, listening to me. They never set out saying we don't want miracles anymore. But what they said is we don't want all this stuff. But the Holy Spirit is like any one of us. If, if every time I try to try to talk to you, Yvonne, you silence me. Eventually, I'm going to stop trying to talk. Y'all ever been with someone like that? Every time you try to express yourself, they silence you. Eventually, you don't want to be in their company anymore. Well, the Holy Spirit will not always strive with men. If we try to limit him, there's going to come a time where he's going to say, well, then have it your way. Help us, Jesus. Over time, they change and they leave their first love. Go to the book of Revelation, chapter two, verse four. Is this OK this morning? Revelation, chapter two, verse four. The king of the church, the head of the church says this, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. And I love the fact that they use the word passionate. Because when you're passionate, you're not concerned about image. When you're passionate about your wife, you're going to kiss her in public. Right? Y'all follow me? I ain't concerned about what you think. If you love that person, you're going to be. Oh, y'all ain't even listening to me. We got statues in our house of Pepe Le Pew. And who's who? Because I'm Pepe. 
I always have been. I always will be. I don't concern about where we are. I don't care. She'll be like, love, stop. You don't got to do that. Stop. If I had a dollar for every time my wife told me stop, I'd be a very wealthy man. Because I ain't concerned about where we are. If you're passionate, y'all follow. If you're passionate about the Lord, you're not concerned about being dignified. You're like, I gotta express my love to this one. I, he, he, when I was hurt, and he healed me. When I was lost, he found me. When I was in sin, he delivered me. And so I don't care what you think. I'm gonna come into His assembly with thanksgiving. I'm gonna come into His presence with praise. You might not understand my praise, but you don't gotta understand my praise because you ain't the one that delivered me. I'm going to express my love to him in ways that are unreasonable. Because I'm not letting go of the passionate love that I have for him. And when you're passionate, you ain't always dignified. When you're passionate, you're not always reasonable. When you're passionate, you'll buy gifts that are too extravagant and cost too much, and you'll give them too often. Why? Because there's no price that's too great to express the passion I have. And the head of the church, I says, I have this against you, not because your doctrine is wrong, not because you got the wrong church services. He said, I have this against you. You've forgotten your passion. You've replaced it with something else. Is this okay? Listen to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I ain't never going to finish this sermon. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But a natural man, verse 14, a natural man, one living on a human level, one living on a human level. Do you know those of us who are in Christ? There ain't nothing about you normal. There just ain't. You've chosen to believe that you could receive salvation from a God you ain't never seen. There's nothing normal about your doctrine. There's nothing normal about what you believe. So why do we try to be normal to fit in? A natural man, one living entirely on a human level, does not accept the things of the Spirit. Once again, the problem is with the Spirit. Of the, of, the, of the triune God, the one that we hear most often about is the Spirit. Hmm. He does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why? For they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. I know I already said this, but I want to say it again. When we who are spiritual try to reach those who are natural by doing that which is reasonable, we forfeit the supernatural. Selah, I'll say that again. When we who are spiritual, that's us, try to reach those who are natural, that's them. By doing that which is reasonable, we forfeit the supernatural. Hmm. Brother Hagin used to always say this, listen, it's better to have a little wildfire than no fire at all. See, we got to, listen, the only way we can, how do I say this? The only way we can have the supernatural flowing in our assemblies is to realize we ain't in control. (laughs) 
And I know we like our titles, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. But it doesn't matter what your title is because that's really just a job description anyhow. But we get this idea that somehow we're in control of our assemblies. And so we get to control the songs that are sung. And if they don't sing the songs we like, then we get offended. And we're going to go find a church where they sing the songs we like. Yeah. <laughs> Why are y'all so quiet? You see, we could, but if we're going to have a move of the spirit, we got to understand we ain't in control. We're in attendance. But there's a greater one than us who's in control and. He's the one who created all things, and so he knows how to flow through the assemblies of his own people. He, he knows how to come in, and he, he, there, there's a pastor, true story one time. He had a sister Percola in his church, and one day he got wind that a city councilman had heard about his church and was going to come and visit his church, and so he tried to get total control of the assembly because he wanted to make a good, a good impression. True story. So he told the worship team, you know that song you sing, and every time you sing it, she starts dancing? And they were like, yeah. He said, don't sing it. This Sunday, don't sing that song because we don't want her up there dancing because, after all, we got to make a good impression. So they started worship, and they avoided that song, but they sang another song. She ain't never danced to this song before. Suddenly, she stood up. And when she stood up, the pastor shrank down. Because he knew what was coming. She was going to start dancing. And she was in the same aisle as the city councilman. And sure enough, like a freight train pulling out of the depot, she, the pastor heard her go, ooh, ooh, ooh. And he's like, oh, my God, she's going to do it. Well, I guess we'll never be the first church. And she started dancing. And she started shouting. And she danced right up next to the assembly man, and she was going all over the place, and the pastor knew. And when the service was over, the assembly man, the council man, made a, a beeline for the pastor, and the pastor thought, okay, here it comes. God is so good. The councilman walked up to the pastor, and as he got close, the pastor saw that he'd been crying, tears in his eyes. And the councilman said, I have not been touched like that since I was a child. I've been without God for years. I forgot what God would do. God knows how to touch the hurting. He knows how to reach the prodigals. He can do more with one demonstration as unsightly and unseemly and as unreasonable as it is. He can do more with one demonstration than we can do with a dictionary of persuasive words. Is this making sense? See, this is the reason why if, if we really believe we're trying to reach the lost, if we really believe that Jesus Christ is the answer and we want to reach an entire generation, we got to understand that he is the head of the church and he sent the Holy Spirit to be the paraclete, the one who draws up next to us and helps us, but the one who is in control. We are not in management. He is. It's better to have a little wildfire than no fire at all. Smith Wigglesworth said, if you don't allow for some extravagance, you'll have no move of the spirit. What we got to understand is if you have freedom, you'll have some freakiness. You just because, listen, there's I, I'll probably close today's message with this. But there's four groups of people in every church and there's four groups of people in every move. Every move of God, we got to understand that not everyone's the same. 
we've got to make room for some mistakes. If we're in, listen, the only way we can shut down everything that's freaky is to be in total control. And the only way we can be in total control is to tell him he's not welcome. Because if he's welcome, there's going to be some things that are unreasonable. Is this, is this making sense? I feel like I'm stumbling a little bit. But he, when we seek to be in total control, that's when we put dress codes in. And we put all these different codes and regulations of who can come and how they can come and the hoops they got to jump through to be part of our assembly. And because, after all, we don't want anything unsightly or unseemly. I remember years ago, Bishop Miller told me about a story about a they were they were uh, uh, they were in, um, in where were they? Lewiston, right? Uh, uh, they started this new church and God began to flow and people were coming in out of the fields and getting saved and. They, and God was adding to their numbers daily. And then one day they were starting church and Bishop stood up to preach and he noticed there was a commotion in the back. And so he asked what was going on. And one of his rushers run down front and said, Bishop, the, 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 a prostitute just walked in, but we got no seats for her. The only seat available is yours. He said, well, put her down where I sit. And the, 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 the usher was like, no, 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 you don't understand. She's dressed like a said she's got a halter top on and it ain't halting much and she's got a mini skirt that ain't hiding much and he said well put her down front and they brought her down front and she sat there and she heard the word and she saw the demonstration of God's spirit and for the first time in her life she didn't feel like she was rejected or marginalized for the first time in her life, she wasn't judged. And for the first time in her life, she wasn't made to sit back or told you're unwelcome. They put her down front in the pastor's chair. And when they gave the altar call, she came, halter top, mini skirt, mascara and all. And she gave her life to Jesus Christ. And pretty soon, she single-handedly eliminated the prostitution ring in that whole county. Because she led every prostitute to the Lord. Pretty soon Bishop Miller had a bunch of prostitutes in his church. And then, then she used the same principles she learned on the street to become one of the most prominent businesswomen in the county. We need a move of God's spirit. We need to quit looking at each other and judging each other and judging how we worship and judging how we preach and judging how we dance and quit knowing each other according to the flesh and just realize that might not be the way I do it. But, baby, if you want to do it, you go ahead and do it. If if you want to run down front and lay prostrate before God and wail, you just wail. If you want to get up and run around the chairs, you run around the chairs. If you can reach the light, swing from them. I don't care. If you want to run across the top of the chairs, do it. But but just be free. We've got to embrace freedom as more important than the security of the flesh. Is this okay? Is it God? A lot of times, if it is God, it ain't going to look like the God we've been taught is God because the God we've been taught is God ain't God. God is not uptight. God ain't nearly as serious as you think he is. In fact, I like what Brother Cole, is this okay? I like what Brother, I don't even know where I'm going. But I like what Brother Copeland said. Brother Copeland said that if it hadn't been for sin, God would have never had a serious thought. 
party all the time, party all. You think God, heaven's going to be boring? Do you remember the prodigal son when he came home? Do you remember how the father told him, you got to clean up before I hug you? Do you remember how the father said, you got to go through the ritual cleansing, and then we'll see each other again in seven days? Do you remember when the father rehearsed to him all the bad things he had done to make him feel shame? Do you remember all that? You know why you don't remember that? Because it ain't in there. You know what is in there? The son coming back, rehearsing how bad he had been, and the father throwing out all the rules. He wasn't supposed to hug someone falls who had been playing with pigs. That was against the rules. That was unseemly. That was unreasonable. And yet the father ran to this swine-smelling, rebellious son and fell on him and kissed him and hugged him. And with no cleansing, no repentance, the son didn't even get a chance to say, I'm sorry. He was trying to say, Father, I've sinned against you, but the father couldn't hear it because there was too many smooches. It's hard to repent when you're getting kissed. And, and then he turns and he tells the servant, he said, you know that ring? Go get it. You know those sandals? Go get it. You know that robe? Go get it. Why? Because the son of mine, I still claim him as mine, the son of mine who was lost, he is now found. And so what are we going to do? Party all the time. Party all the time. He threw a party. Why? Because you don't celebrate the shame. You don't celebrate the sin. You don't condemn them for where they've been. When they come back, you overlook the smell. You overlook the stench. Then you say you've made it back home. It's not about being persuasive or reasonable. It's about loving beyond reason. It's about breaking the rules to touch the hurting. Is it God? If it makes them feel loved, it's God. If it, if, it, if it mends their broken heart, it's God. If it gives them a reason to believe they don't have to sin anymore, it's God. If, if, if it removes the shame, it's God. If it removes the pain, it's God. If it restores dignity to them, it's God. God's not really all that interested in our rules. I've noticed something about God. He'll totally jump by denominational lines. Recently, I was made aware. I got to hurry up. I keep saying that y'all don't, so I guess I can keep going. I met with a Presbyterian pastor who told me about a Catholic priest who had had a conversion experience where he was baptized in what the priest called liquid love. And the Presbyterians letting her listen and going, I ain't even had that experience. A Catholic priest dripping with the love of God who's leading an entire congregation of Catholics who are filled with the Spirit, making a difference in our community. And you think, well, God wouldn't move among the Catholics. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, no matter where you are, no matter whether you wear a little white thing on your chin or anything else, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. God will jump right over the boundaries. He'll ignore the rules. He'll do the unreasonable to touch someone who hungers for him. Now, I don't know about you, but as for me, I'm contending for this kind of environment. I want, I want a move of God where the, the love of God is so 
persuasive in our atmosphere when somebody comes in we before anyone even says anything to them they know there's something different about this assembly i don't feel judged they're not looking at me because of my skin color my gender what they're not looking at me because i got tattoos or no tattoos or i got a ring in my nose they're not judging me because of that they just love me i feel something different here i i Maybe it's true that the God of the Bible still loves me. And if it's true, if it's even possible that it's true that he won't reject me, then maybe I should embrace him. See, it's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. It's the goodness of God that heals us of our pain. It's the goodness of God that delivers us from the shame of our past. It's the goodness of God that is totally unreasonable and boundless in its applications. Is it God? Mm. You got to allow for some of the freakiness because there are going to be some people that make mistakes. Listen to this. I, I, I'm skipping a whole bunch of things. We'll pick it up next week. Religion frightens people away from the truth grace delivers them from the false the bible instructs us to be careful but never fearful matthew chapter 7 verse 15 and we'll close with this you see if you and i have the ability to discern whether it's god or not then we'll never embrace the counterfeit and wonder why it's so unfulfilling. See, we come to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and we remain in our brokenness, and we feel unfulfilled. Nowhere in the Bible do we encounter anyone, not even one time, coming into the presence of God and leaving unchanged. So if we come into an assembly... And we, Sunday after Sunday, are unchanged. There's only two possible reasons. One, it's possible that God's not welcomed in that place. Two, it's possible God's there, but we fail to recognize him. See, because the Bible says wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, in my name, in my name, in my name, he'll be there in the midst. And I once heard an old preacher say, it's impossible for two or three to gather and God not be there. But it is possible for God to be there and people not recognize him. We want to recognize that's God. That's what God's doing, and we want to get involved in that because if we get where God is, Mark chapter 5, a woman with the issue of blood, she had suffered at many doctors' hands, She'd been isolated and marginalized and cast out because of her problems, her issues. She said, if I can just get to where he is, the first thing you got to do is recognize him. That's God. I want to get to where he is, because if I can get to where he is, then this issue I'm having will cease being an issue. I got to get to where he is. But can you imagine if she had accepted everyone else's judgment that he wasn't the one? Then she would have spent the rest of her life with that same 
issue because she didn't recognize, as so many didn't, that's God. That's the Messiah. So if I can press my way through the crowd and get to where he is, then this will stop being an issue for me because if we get into the, are y'all listening to me? I want you to hear this right now. You get to where God is. You get in the presence of God. He will touch you. He will heal you. He will mend you. He will give you joy. He will give you peace because he is still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He changeth not. It doesn't matter what that pastor told me because Brother Hagin said a Ph.D. can stand for post-hole digger. He's still the same God. He heals the brokenhearted. He touches those who are in pain. He delivers the sick and the sinner alike. Beware of the false prophets. Don't get caught up on the term prophets. It's just a title. There's also false apostles. There's false pastors. There's false teachers. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And I want to stop right here. And when, like I said, I'm not going to finish today's sermon. We'll come back to it. But I mentioned to you earlier that in nearly every revival ended poorly. And in every move and in every church, there's four groups of people. And our ability as a congregation to birth and sustain a move of God. And you know, the only way we're really going to make an impact in the upstate is a move of God. It'll never be our worship. It'll never be my sermons. It'll be the fact that God is in this place. That's the only thing that'll ever make a difference. And if we're going to birth and sustain a move of God and not repeat historical mistakes, we need to understand that in every church, there's four groups of people. And our ability to flow with God is determined by our ability to recognize that there's different people. And this allows for the wildfire. Because when you see somebody doing something, and you, they could just be the immature. They're not dangerous. They're just full of zeal. The worst thing you can do to them is tell them to stop. And for years, it seemed as if God never sent anyone but hurting people to real life church. And when I was an itinerant, one of my best friends asked me, does God ever send you to healthy churches? And I had to stop and think, doggone. No, he never does. I never get to go to the big healthy churches. I'm always at the hurting churches, the ones that are near splitting. And then I began to understand why, because God sends me in to heal. Does God ever send healthy people to RLC? For a long time, he did. And I'm glad some of y'all finally started showing up. Thank you. But we all need a place that we can get healed. And the reason I'm saying that is so many of us, we come to a church, and when we finally get a little bit of joy, we get smacked down. Right? We're told, well, we need to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. And the first time you try, they slam you down for making a mistake. we got to allow for some extravagance, some exuberance, and a little bit of wildfire if we're going to have a move of God's Spirit. So I want to share this last thing with you. The sermon ain't done, but I know your attention span is about at its max, and the chicken is already dry. 
four groups of people involved in every move and in every congregation. You ready? Number one, the mature. The mature are those whose spiritual intelligence is equal to their zeal. The mature. Number two, the immature. The immature are those whose zeal outruns their spiritual intelligence. They're not dangerous, just messy. We got to understand that. Because too many times we see somebody who's messy and we judge them. I've never met a parent spank a baby for making a mess when the baby's eating. I mean, when babies make a mess, we're usually, oh, that's so cute. I make a mess, my wife tells me to clean it up. And somewhere along the line, it stopped being cute when I... But when we're, when we're immature, we don't expect them to have it all together. They're going to make a mess once in a while, but they're, they're enjoying the food. So they get a little bit too exuberant, and instead of eating it just a little bit, they grab the whole thing and try to eat it. And, and you look at them and you think, now, isn't that cute? So in, in our church, we've got to understand that we have immature people in our church. They love the Lord. They just Their spiritual intelligence hasn't caught up to their zeal. They're messy, but they're not dangerous. The worst thing in the world, what we need to do with them is train them, not spank them. If we spank them for making a mess, they'll stop eating and stop growing. So you have your mature, then you have your immature. And then you have what the Lord worded to me as imbalanced. He didn't say unbalanced. He said imbalanced. The imbalanced are those who got their perspective is off. That's different than unbalanced. Unbalanced is one thing. Imbalanced just means they get. These are the people who we. <laughs> there was this one lady, every prayer and power conference we'd have in Tulsa every year, she would show up dressed like a high priest. She had the hat, gold lame suit with all the ephods on her chest. She wasn't dangerous. She didn't do anything to draw attention to herself other than the gold lame suit. I mean. That was kind of hard to miss when the television lights hit it. But she wasn't prophesying. She would just get up front and dance. They got a perspective where they focus on things that really don't matter. You, you follow me? You don't need to. You're not being more anointed because you show up in a robe. You're not more anointed because you show up dressed like a high priest. You're not more anointed because you have a shofar. I love the Jewish flag, but running around the church waving it don't make you a prophet. You understand? So the, 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 the imbalance just have a faulty perspective. They major on things that are minor. But once again, they're not dangerous. They just need to be marginalized. Don't put them on the stage. But let them run around the back with all that stuff. Let them blow the shafar. It's okay because if we try to shut down everything, we'll lose everything. Is this making sense? Or this is more of a teaching session than a preaching but we got to understand that there's four groups of people. you got the mature. The mature are the ones you want preaching. The immature are the ones you want to train. The imbalanced are the ones you just want to let them do their thing on the side. And then you have one group of people. They're always there, too. They're the wolves. The wolves are those who come in in sheep's clothing. But they are a dangerous bunch. They're the ones who hunt in packs and they need to be run off. They come in not to not to add, but to decimate. 
Is this okay? The immature, the mature, the imbalanced, and the wolves. Now, this is the reason why some revivals, most revivals end poorly, because eventually the mature get tired. They get exhausted. And so they no longer learn to discern who is who. And so the immature are given positions that belong to the mature. The imbalanced, instead of being marginalized, are put front and center. And then you put wolves behind the scenes in positions of leadership. And all because of the elders of the church are no longer watching over themselves, nor the flock over whom God has made them overseers. And so what began as a move of God ends in devastation and ill repute. And the whole church world says that's why we don't want to be Pentecostals, because look what they did. But if we'll understand there's four groups of people, the mature always need to train the immature. And the mature and the immature need to make sure the imbalanced are just put on the sides. Don't run them off. They're not dangerous. They're just going to do what they want to do. Let them do it. But the ones who come in as wolves, you better run them off. Otherwise, they're going to eat the sheep. Amen. Is it God? You and I have no. Well, OK, let me throw three things. I'll touch this next week. There are three tests you can always submit to understand if it's God. And asking the question, is it God, is not giving you the right to judge and condemn and throw stones at other people. It ain't about removing the, the, the splinter that's in their eye. It's about getting the plank out of our own. So we, you need to understand the question, is it God, ain't about going after them. It's about examining ourselves. So there are three tests. Everyone write this down. I'm going to elaborate. I'll elaborate on it next week. Is it moral? Is it moral? And I'm not talking about cultural norms, what our culture calls moral. I'm talking about the absolute morality of the scripture. Is it moral? Because the grace of God does not give people the right to be immoral. If they're not moral, according to the scripture. Now, now hear me when I say this. I said I wasn't going to elaborate. There's a difference between slipping in a pool and swimming in one. If somebody makes a mistake, that doesn't make them immoral. It makes they made a mistake. But if you got a, I'm just, <laughs> there are some things I really don't. If someone's standing up here and they call themselves pastor and they're on their fifth affair, that ain't a mistake. That's a lifestyle, bro. That's practicing immorality. And they cannot hide under the cover of grace and say, touch not mine the prophets and do mine anointed no harm. And it ain't about condemning them. It's about the realization. I don't want to sit under someone who practices lawlessness. It ain't even about judging them. It's about protecting the move of God in my own life. Is it moral? If it's immoral, it ain't grace. We got to get that through our heads. Grace does not permit us to be immoral. Grace empowers us to a higher standard of morality, to where the thief no longer steals, the liar no longer lies, and the hunter no longer hunts. Now, I ain't talking about for deer. I'm talking about for other people. Is it moral? Is it doctrinal? And by doctrinal, I'm not talking about digging through the Old Testament and saying, well, you know, if somebody stands up and prophesies and they miss it, we ought to stone them. You get tired of hearing that. Man, if we're going to stone each other for every mistake we make, we better start throwing rocks at each other. 
But you who are without sin, why don't you go ahead and throw the first one? Is it doctrinal? Is Christ-centric? Our doctrine is based on Jesus Christ. Is that something Jesus would do? Is, are, they, are they doctrinal according to the doctrine of Jesus Christ? And if they're not like Jesus, then it ain't God. Is it moral? Is it doctrinal? Test number three, verbal. Listen to what they say. Test the spirits. That doesn't mean challenge them. Growing up in the church historically, we were told, well, you could go up to a demon-possessed person and ask them, is Jesus Lord? And if they're demon-possessed, they won't be able to say it. That's silliness. The devil's a liar. It ain't about going up there and asking them a question. It's about listening to what they say. Listen. Are they, are they talking about Jesus or themselves? Are they drawing attention to the head of the church or themselves? Are, in their speeches, are they, are they constantly glorifying and magnifying him? Or in listening to what they say, are they talking about something else altogether? If Jesus Christ, the crucified one, never comes out in one of their messages... Is it God? If it's God, Jesus will always be the center of it. He'll be the head. He'll be the tail. He'll be both sides. It'll all be. Is this okay this morning? I'm trying. It'll all be about him. Is it doctrinal? Is it, would you picture Jesus doing this? WWJD. What would Jesus do? And then is it moral? We can understand if it's God and. Now, if it's God, it doesn't mean that it'll always be, well, you know, everything in that church is so reasonable and nice. They clap in time. They don't get too excited. Man, if clapping in time was a way to get into heaven, <laughs> I wouldn't be going. Because <laughs> when Cleve's singing, I'm like, I got no sense of rhythm. It's a good thing I'm so pretty. Listen, you and I don't need to be confused as to what it is God. And when we know what is God, we can be healed of our hurts. We can go on to the next levels in life. We can achieve what God has birthed us to achieve. And we can have a wonderful life. Amen. Go ahead and stand to your feet this morning. What's number four? There is no number four. You trying to come up with another test? Three, moral, doctrinal, and verbal. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Can I have our prayer team come forward? Hallelujah, Father. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, I would implore you on bended knees, don't leave here without knowing him. He's not a drag. He's not trying to bring your life down. You'll never know real joy until you know Jesus Christ. We've all go through moments of sadness, but I've 
joy always comes in the morning for the believer. I've been around a lot of sinners. The, the town I grew up in had more bars than it did churches, Steve. And I've been in those places. And sinners are by nature sad. And they got to cover it up. Believers are by nature happy. We're just sometimes working our way through things. But joy always comes in the morning. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you've never been delivered from that sinful life, now's your time. This is your moment. Today is the day of salvation. If you're here this morning and you're suffering, whether it's in silence or with disease, and you would like to believe that Jesus is the healer. I can clear that up for you. He is the healer. He'll heal your soul. He'll heal your body. And we believe that if two of us agree as to touching anything, he'll do that. So we want to stand in agreement with you. So if you need prayer this morning for any reason whatsoever, we invite you to come forward right now. Find one of these people. They got enough anointing to put hair back on your head. That's the reason why I don't let them pray for me. <laughs> for the rest of us, I just want to ask you to go ahead and lift your hands. I want to pray over you and then we'll dismiss. Father, thank you for this assembly. I'm so grateful to get to be a part of a church that believes in freedom. We're free in the spirit, Father. We're free to live a full life. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would be pleased with our passion for you, for your word, for your presence. And Lord, that you would make wide the path that we are to walk. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that every person here, the light would be turned on for them, Father, that your word would light their path, that every step would be enlightened and that they would walk with surety and confidence, Father. Lord, I pray that you prove yourself good. Show yourself mighty. Do incredible things in the lives of your people, for we believe you are the great I am. And everyone said... Amen. God bless you to go in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. We love you.